Welcome to Grit, Guts, and Determination, the Leadville Race Series podcast and your authority on all things Leadville. I'm your host, Cole Clover, son of race founder, Ken Clover. We want to take you on a journey of storytelling of our now 38-year rich history. We also then want to follow that up with tricks and tips that will get you to that line come August and let our community members have a little say in that too. So sit back, enjoy, and we'll see you this summer. We'll see you at home in Leadville. Leadville family, we've got royalty in the house today in the form of our 1994 Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike women's champion, Lori Brandt. Not only did she come back to repeat that victory, after a year's hiatus, she came back to challenge herself with Leadville Silver Rush 50, only to take that title all those years later and come back and repeat that victory as well. Uh, so without further ado, please join Lori and I and find out what Lori is up to today. We have a saying in Leadville, you don't find Leadville, Leadville finds you. So Lori, when did Leadville find you? Leadville found me in 1994 when I had been racing for a couple years as a pro mountain biker. And I heard about this Leadville race, a hundred mile race. I'd certainly done hundred mile rides on my road bike. Um, road biking was a big part of my early career. I, I've, you know, I've ridden a road bike uh, all my life. Um, you know, before mountain bikes, I had a road bike and that's how I got around. Um, so I'd done a lot of century rides and double centuries and, and really liked endurance cycling, but to race a hundred miles was a totally new thing. Race a hundred miles on a mountain bike, especially at above 10,000 feet and over 10,000 feet of climbing. Um, that was just an unknown. Um, so, uh, that first year, which is the first year of the Leadville 100 race series for mountain bikes, I think it was 10 years after the first running race. Um, I had just heard about it and it, and it really appealed to me. It, it fit into my schedule of racing at the time, uh, which was Colorado series races, which was a huge thing in Colorado. I think there were 10 Colorado off-road point series races each year. And, and of course the world cup series that included in Europe and North America. And then the, um, Northern national series, which I think there were six at that time. Okay. And this, this happened to fit in, you know, later in the, in the season, obviously, you know, early August. Um, but I knew my fitness would have been good from a lot of races, like races almost every weekend. I thought, what the heck, I'll give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, that's, that's how it found me. Um, cool. it just appealed to me on a lot of levels. Well, and I do love that that is actually how you first came to know Leadville. Uh, and so you were our first mountain bike champ in 1994 when none of us knew a thing about the distance, uh, us as race organizers or you as an athlete. Um, I'd love for you to tell us more. What was that like and uh, how did you even know how to train for something so long for the day? I'd say 15 to 25 miles. That was typical cross-country races at that time. And that's for a pro woman. That's right. That's right. Um, I liked a lot of the Colorado Point Series races because they were actually stage races. They were usually two or three stages in a mountain town 
like a Telluride or Crested Butte or a steamboat, and they would have like a time trial, hill climb time trial, a downtown fat tire crit, and then an epic cross-country race. Maybe some cases they were 30 miles, maybe a little bit more. But definitely the World Cup and National Series races were a lot shorter than that. They, I think they shot for two to two and a half hour races, whatever the distance might be. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so this race, I just kind of looked at it as, well, it's kind of four times a regular race. <laughs> you know, four, four 25 mile races equals 100 miles. So if I just look at this, let's just bite it off in chunks and... And when I finish 25 miles, I'll have that under my belt. I'll just work on the next 25 and then the next 25, the next 25. Of course, the terrain doesn't quite work that way. It's really more like, you know, 40. 40 is kind of the first big change because that's the start of the big climb. Uh Um, And then the next, you know, 10 miles to the turnaround and back down, that's kind of the next section. And then the, you know, coming back, I guess you could break that into a couple sections too. But at least the 25-mile mark, not really knowing the course, Mm -hmm. was a good way for me to wrap my brain around it for me to train for it, for me to uh, really think about um, how to eat, um, what to drink. And, you know, like you said, we didn't really know how to train for this. You know, now there's marathon nationals. There's a lot of 100-mile races. Um, You know, back then there were a few of the 24-hour races. Mm -hmm. But if I had done those, I usually did them as a team. So I'd ride a lap, and then three of my teammates would go. And then I'd ride again, and then, you know, so on. I, I never rode it as solo. So I didn't really have that 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 twenty four hours of riding kind of mentality, um, it, but the you know the eating drinking side was really pretty primitive back then. When we think of all the products that are available today, oh, um, for sure, you know, and our knowledge of those things, you know, how we metabolize them, what order to drink them in or eat them in, what to avoid, you know, what to concentrate on, what to you know. Eating the night before was like carbo-loading. That's kind of the main philosophy back then, from what I remember. Oh, yeah. And there were a few, like there was a Gatorade. There were, you know, a few sport drinks that were out there. Um, I got to know, I think I think it was about in 94, some of the Shackley products, which uh, they had been developed, at least the performance one, had been developed as a carbohydrate electrolyte drink that uh, was for endurance cycling. You know, the, the Daedalus project where it was the human-powered aircraft. Okay. Uh, they, they knew they had to, to the, the pilot was a cyclist, and they knew they had to fly across the water in this really cool dataless sort of bicycle aircraft thing. You can probably look it up on YouTube and, and see pictures about it. But, you know, the, the idea was that they knew at that time that water wasn't enough. You know, that, that even if you drank enough water to stay hydrated, you wouldn't absorb that water effectively unless you had electrolytes, that you know, the minerals to help you absorb that. And then obviously the calories – that were quickly accessed by your body. Um, so I believe I'd use like the performance drink, but you know, in 1994, it seemed like that's all I did as a product. Okay. I tried normal food at the aid stations or carry stuff in my pockets. You know, grapes are a good thing or raisins, just something, little finger food you can put in your pocket and eat that. But I remember also thinking that first year, like you get really tired of eating sugar. Yes. You know, sure. and you just, your body craves something more, but I didn't know what it craved. And and the next time I did the race, which was 95, I remember kind of experimenting with uh, with a protein powder that was also a Shappy product. And it's meant as, you know, a, a meal supplement or a, or a, a um, protein addition to your diet or as a recovery. You, you drink it after to help you recover by giving you good quality protein. But no one really talked much about protein and fat during riding. <laughs> 
Um, so what I did is I, I mixed up bottles that were that plus the performance. And, and then I just had, you know, my husband at the time, Jerry Hoffman, um, I just said, okay, at the A stations, just be there with these things. And then I'll ask for it, depending on what my body seems to want. And, and sure enough, you know, about, you know, halfway through the race, I really didn't want the performance anymore. I didn't want the electrolyte drink. I wanted something more substantial. I was hungry. Mm-hmm. I was hydrated, but I was hungry. And I, I remember the first year, uh, you know, I tried baked potatoes. That doesn't work, you know, <laughs> because they're just so dry. Well, bars, and, so dry, you know. Yeah. They're great if you're just on a ride, but they're not great if you race. Well, and that's funny because they work so good in the running just because you're moving so much slower, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on a bike, your mouth gets really dry, too, mm-hmm. especially at those elevations. And so I'm not a big nose breather. I'm more of a mouth breather. And so my mouth would get very dry. So definitely having to keep drinking. And I, and I would always tell myself, just drink every 15 minutes. Drink something every 15 minutes. And I never bonked. In the, in the four years I did it in the 90s, I never bonked. Um, I, because I just kind of lived by, by that philosophy, just make sure you're putting something in you that is satisfying, whatever it is, whatever works for you. And it's going to be different for everybody. Um, it, it's great now that there's so many products out there because then people can experiment and, and feel like they can carry with them or, or be supplied with what they need. Uh, but yeah, it was a big unknown back then. You, we just, we just didn't know. Well, and so what was it like taking that inaugural victory? I mean, did you come into the race expecting the win? Did you expect a repeat? You know, I didn't. I, I wanted to win, of course. I don't know that I expected to win. I knew I had a good chance because of all the racing I'd been doing. Like, let's just lay it down. You know, like, like right. just get the best and whatever it is, it is. And and um, I felt great when I rode and, and the 100 miles you know, was hard, but it didn't kill me. You know, it didn't like totally waste me. It was, it was definitely doable. And I think because I took care of myself, you know, and I was, I was fit. I was fit from all the cycling I had been doing and all the racing, you know, racing is fine grinded. If you're racing every weekend, there's not anything better you can do. It's almost like you have to spend more effort trying to recover (laughs) in between so that you can then always try to kind of peak every weekend when you're racing. Uh, but I, I really credit all the races I did as, as really the best training I could possibly do. I wasn't going out and doing 100-mile rides. I was thinking, you know, I can pull that out if I need it. For but sure. I, if I try to do 100-mile rides too much, I will definitely get burned out, and I'll definitely, you know, risk overuse injuries or, you mm-hmm. know, just you know just the frustration of I'm just always on my bike, I'm not motivated. You know, I, I never had that problem because, you know, racing is motivating. You know, it's fun to always have a goal. Absolutely. And to be around your friends and, you know, the sponsorship that you have and, and just the, the whole event just kind of keeps feeding you every weekend. Um, so that was probably the best preparation I did was all the racing. Okay. And so now you have, you said four finishes in the 90s. How many finishes do you have? I have a total of five. Uh, I did it again in, I want to say 2010, nine or 10. Um, didn't do real well. Um, obviously, I was a lot older and two children later. <laughs> For um, sure. You know, in 97, I would have been um, 35. Um, I was born in 1962. Um, so I was in my mid-30s, but, you know, for women in the day when we didn't have collegiate racing back then, we didn't even have the ability for juniors to really step up into the program. If they had a good, if we had a good junior at the national level, they were competing against women in their 30s. Right. Oh, goodness. 
hard for them without you know miles in their legs and experience as as a person and athlete with traveling and all that um, it was very hard for juniors to move up so so all of us women were pretty much in our 30s or late 20s uh, we, that that's old for now when you think about all the collegiate racing that there is and, and u23 racing and a lot of the pros are in their 20s yeah but that's, for because, sure. that's because of all the success of high school racing uh, everything started younger, you know, in these Devo programs that even feeds the high school programs, you know, and the high school programs feed the collegiate programs and so on. Um, right now, there's a lot better stepping stones than there were back then. The sport was just so young. Oh, uh, sure. Now on the guys section, you see Sepp Koos in the tour and his training partner out here winning Leadville. So, right, right. yeah, the, the, my how the times have changed, right? I mean, the opportunity sure. and the tools that these kids have. Right. Right. But talking about amazing performances, uh, do you remember what your best time was out there? I sure do. Um, in 1997, so it would have been the third time I did it. And I couldn't do it in 96. My schedule was mm -hmm. such that um, there was a conflict and couldn't do it then. Otherwise, I would have. I, th I think it was just such a fun thing to look forward to each year. And I started thinking back in January about it. Okay. So I, I start be thinking about... Yeah, I'm going to do crunches. I'm going to do 100 crunches every day. Just be thinking about every mile and let go. You know, it's just, it was very motivating. Um, but in 97, I'd say I had the ride of my life. The best ride I ever had in any race ever. It was just one of those things that the stars aligned. Everything was perfect in terms of my preparation. You know, all the races that I did that year, I was not on the national circuit anymore. I was actually technically retired, you uh -huh. know, from full-time racing. I wasn't full-time sponsored. I had Moots and Shackley as my sponsors. And so... I got nutritional products and a bike and my entry fees, you know, but that was fine for me because I was back to being a geologist again and working full time, but I was able to do all the Colorado Off-Road Point Series, and that was almost every weekend for me, and that was that was perfect. That was the right amount of training. In fact, I thought I was undertrained mm -hmm. because I wasn't doing all the racing I'd done in previous Leadville's, and but, but obviously it did prepare me well because maybe I was rested, you know, maybe I was, I did those those things that kept inching my fitness up with every race I did, but I wasn't going backwards at all. Um, wasn't overtraining, wasn't over traveling, you know, it wasn't getting sick, you know, everything just kind of fell into place. And I went into it really ready, you know, really primed, not, not tired. And that's hard for a lot of people because August is late for some people. If they start road racing in the spring, they're doing races in the spring and all summer long and it's hot and they're getting more down and traveling by August. They're like, I don't, don't want to ride the bike anymore. <laughs> no, they don't. But, right. But so for me, it was, it was probably good that I worked because then it, I had a, I had an active job. I was out in the field doing a lot of field work. So I was hiking and even riding my bike for work to get to some remote places, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing the intense national or international circuit anymore. But that year, um, my time was 758.53, and I remember putting on my handlebars my splits, my splits for each aid station and my cumulative splits. So what was the time between each aid station so I could really look, okay, this is an hour and 15 minutes was my goal between these two stations, let's say. Mm -hmm. But I also knew that if I had a watch on, if my, if my computer stopped working or something, I could always look at my watch and say, what's my cumulative time to this point? So I could kind of, you know, keep track. And... And at each aid station, I was a little ahead of my my goals. Each aid station, it just, oh, I'm doing good. I'll keep going, you know. And, and it's one of those days that you just wish for. You had more often where 
whenever you asked to push harder, your body said, yeah, bring it on. You know, it just it felt good. The climbing felt great. The weather was perfect. It had rained, I think, uh, the previous weekend, I think. And so um, it had moistened the soil, but it didn't make it spongy. And it wasn't dry and powdery like it could be sometimes where it's loose. It was like just the perfect hero dirt. And um, I remember, um, you know, you could probably look this up, Cole, but if you look up how many riders were in that race, um, I don't remember what my number plate was, but I want to say it was in the 400s or 600s. Okay. So it was before we had 1,000 riders. Wow. Over 2,000 riders. You know, it was still a pretty manageable number. But I remember doing Columbine climb, and the, the fun thing about that for people is you see people coming towards you. And you can count uh-huh. where you are. And and so I'm getting up in the, you know, above the, right about timber line, up in those willows and sections. And I was able to ride stuff that that in the previous two years I hadn't ridden. So the conditions were just perfect. And and my fitness obviously was, was primed. But I was counting people coming towards me. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six. And when I saw number six, I could see the turnaround. And it's like, that's the first time I realized what place I was in. I was in seventh. <laughs> right. And it was like, that gave me the biggest lift at whatever that is, 11,000 feet. <laughs> what is the elevation of Columbine? Uh, it gets up to 12.6. So you're, yeah. 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 I mean, you definitely get up up to the sky there and you can really see. You, can, you know, you can see riders ahead of you and you can see the turnaround. And, and I just felt my whole bike just jumped, you know, it's like, yeah, seven, you know, I, in the other races, I finished top 20, but not top 10. And, and so, uh, you know, the guys coming down, obviously knew what place I was in because they can count too. Right. And, and they're encouraging me was so cool. And the same thing when I got to turn around and started coming down, other people were seeing me. It's like, yeah, woman. Awesome. You know, way to go, Lori. You know, it was, it was just really neat. Um, you know what that's like. It's just such a, such a high to get to that turnaround point and to, to see all the encouraging people and be part of that encouragement, uh, for people going up or down. Um, and then, um, but uh, just to back up a second on that climb, I had been with one or two other people and I think Andy Fox was one of them. And, um, most of that climb though, we kind of just did our own pace. I wasn't really with anyone once we started into the main part of the climb and I rode the entire rest of the race by myself. I never caught number six and number eight never caught me. Well, so, that's, that's the thing. I mean, we really need to take a pause cause you're far too humble. Um, the year's 1997, uh, bike technology's horrible. <laughs> you're right. There aren't all these people, which as we learn in Dave Ween's case, um, takes a decade just to, push that guy to where he has somebody to push him to go sub seven and you know like for those of you listening and Lori's saying you know her time set against 400 600 racers well you know I don't know if you're keeping score or not but I am another hard woman uh, just the same as you kind of at the end of one kind of pro career steps in by the name of Rebecca Rush in 2010. And it wasn't her first rodeo with Leadville. And that's how long it took to beat your record. And that was only an 11-minute difference, which 
sure can sound like a lot, but this was done on a carbon fiber two niner. Right. Yeah, back that's a good point. Back back then they were twenty six inch wheel bikes. Elastomers. We didn't have tubeless tires yet, which I think is huge. <laughs> oh you know, yeah, you can ride a horrible rim, but yeah. now they're carbon and straight. Right. And then the you know, the other thing is uh with the niner wheel, you know, you have the better rolling, you have better quality tires, they're tubeless, so it's less weight, less chance of flatting, but more supple, you know, just better feel on the trail. Um, they were uh, three, you know, triple crank, you know, so we had three uh -huh. chain rings. Now they're one by. Yeah. So you have the, the risk of dropping your chain, breaking your chain, you know, getting your chain jammed uh, with, you know, and people who only have a one by nowadays, they have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. But that was definitely a consideration on, on rough trails. Uh, you get chain stuck and now you're, you're off, you know, getting your chain breaker tool out and trying to fix your chain and, you know, things like that. Um, shifting. You know, uh -huh. having having the three the three in the front and there's probably ten in the back. I'm guessing you're shifting a lot with both hands. You know, so the fatigue on your hands and then the quality of forks back then isn't what they are today. Um, so your hands take like on the ten mile descent off Columbine. You know, the abuse your hands take on washboardy stuff really takes its toll. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and um, you're right. The the frames, the seat posts, the suspension. <laughs> you know, all that was just fairly primitive back then and and um yeah it, all i can attest to is that it it was just the ride of my life i was i was flying that day and it felt awesome i was in my own zone i was just riding my own speed and i was enjoying just the moment you know it felt so good and i remember um getting to st kevin's the descent down st kevin's and i and i thought i was just at that point it's still just pushing you're just like pushing you know i knew i'd win uh-huh I knew I'd probably finish seventh, just, just like, just finish You're, you're going to have a great race. And then I looked at what time it was and I realized that I had less than half an hour to the finish line. But if I wanted to get under eight hours, I realized I even had a chance. I was trying to shoot for an eight thirty. Okay. And, and uh, I realized, Oh my gosh, if I go really hard now, I could, I could get under eight, but I'm going to have to go now. Right. And, and if I go now, Maybe I'm going to break. I'm going to break. Not the bike. You know, like, I'm just going to fall over. You know, right. like, what is catch up to me? So, so I'm thinking, no, no, I didn't even think about it. It was like, you'll never be at this place again in your life. You will never be at this fitness. You'll never be in these conditions. You'll never be with the this bike that's working great. You'll never be in this seventh place at this place in time. Go for it. You know, what are you going to do? Look back and go, oh, I just wanted to finish. and I got an 801, you know? Right. And, and I could have gone back, but you can't go back, right? I wanted no regrets. So I remember, you know, I grip shift at the time, and I remember going, yeah, I'm going for it. What's the worst that can happen? I fall over, and, and I lay there for half an hour, and then I get back up, and I still can do fine. You know, I still right. will finish with a decent time. Right. And, and so I just, you know, remember giving it like three or four big clicks and stood up and just, ah, you know, just, just started going as hard as I could. And, you know, even coming up the boulevard, you know, I'm just watching the time clicking. It's like getting closer and closer to that eight. It's like, I can do this. I can do this. You know, just keep finding that harder gear that you can push. And then to to see the finish line and give it a couple minutes to go and just sprinting to that finish line was just such a, I'll never forget what that feels like. I have, I have a picture that someone took and sent it to me 
after that. You know, this is before cell phones. This, this is, is Dan Kapke. You know, I, I bet you took the picture. emails and before the internet you know before stuff that's so easy now to get pictures uh -huh. then, it was such a treasure to get that photo because i i have that photo in my office eight by ten and i can look at that every day and go i remember what i felt like i remember that magical day i had on my bike well and, and i mean it was so magical had it been three years earlier um you would have outright outright won the race with that time <laughs> and you well, and you said that uh, you did that on your Clark Kent at 35 when you were kind of retired. I love taking that trip down memory lane because all I remember is this young female pro calling my dad, <laughs> wanting to know if she could drag her Clark Kent box truck up for the event. And I always thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, the Clark Kent takes me back. You and Ricky had one. I wanted one. <laughs> Say, now that we've talked about bikes, how many bikes do you think you've had since since that darn Clark Kent of yours and Ricky's still on that same bike? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's an awesome story with Ricky. Um, you know, I did, I did 94, 95 on the Clark Kent, and um, I don't have that bike anymore. But 97 and 98, 98, I was on a Moots, a titanium soft tail Moots, and I still have that bike. It's um, a <laughs> you know, 26-inch wheel bike uh -huh. uh, with a soft tail. You know, it's got that little bit of elastomer in the back. It's uh -huh. really not a full suspension. And, um, but it's a tie bike, so it's indestructible. Um, since then, I have converted it. It was rim brakes. Oh, that's the other thing. You know, we talked about equipment. Rim brakes were awful. Oh, yes. If you were ever riding when it was wet, <laughs> you just couldn't stop and the fatigue on your hands from, you know, trying to stop, it took a lot more force. You know, we have single digit braking now, you know, one finger braking with hydraulics. Like we didn't have that back then. It was just a lot more work to break and shift. Um, but I, but I do have that bike. It now has disc brakes on it. It has a different fork on it. It has different wheels on it, of course, because it's <laughs> disc, disc wheels instead, you know, instead oh, of yeah. brake wheels. Um, you know, so all the shifters are different now too. I mean, the frame is the same, but it works with <laughs> everything else. And, and, you know, my daughters both rode that when they were younger, when they, oh, no, I didn't know that bikes onto that, you know, that was the next bike before another mountain bike. And it looks so tiny now, you know, next to my nine. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's like. I can't imagine that I rode 100 miles on that. <laughs> well, and okay. You step back about the brakes. So I'm going to step back further more on your discreditation of your own achievements and say, you know, we had Busk Creek with those rim brakes and yeah. Ricky was kind of around you. And Ricky let us all know that you were the only person, male or female, cleaning up or down Busk Creek. Oh, <laughs> so. oh that's a cool memory. Yeah. Well, so uh, now those are great memories of the hundred. Have you done any of our other Leadville Race Series events? Yes, I've done the Silver Rush Fifty twice um, in two thousand nine and two thousand eleven, and I won them both times. I did it a third time, and I think I got fifth uh, overall woman. Um, so, and and I know that because I'm a geologist, and of course my office 
work for an engineering firm and in my office I have all sorts of rocks and things and I have my level 100 trophies the ore cars with the high grade ore in them which is a cool thing to have for a geologist <laughs> um, and then the Silver Rush 50 trophies the two wins I had on that are um, a big chunk of galena which is uh, lead ore on top of, of those wooden trophies and so I have those in my office as well um, they're a great conversation piece when people come to my office, but they're also just great pieces of memory. There's a lot of Leadville in my office. So, you know, my, my picture of the finish line, my trophies, and, um, you know, I've been involved in uh, the camps the last several years, uh-huh. um, early July, um, as a coach. And, you know, I always have, you know, great photos and get great memories from those and being able to share my experiences with people who know nothing about the history of Leadville, but are coming to experience it for the first time. So it, it's so fun. I feel like, you know, the, you know, the old, the old school, the old bike, the old, the old <laughs> memories, you know, but, but to still be out there, still ride it, to still share that with people who are riding it today, the, the legacy of that event just touches so many people and, you know, what it means to me, what it means to you, what it means to a newbie, for everyone, it's something, something different, but something foundational. You know, something that just stays with you the rest of your life. And oh, that's, for sure. that's you know, back to what you said. Lego finds you. Um, it, it it implants itself in you, and your psyche, and your drive, and your just who you are. You know, it it, it has it has enriched me. It has changed me. It has made my life better. And, and a big part of that is is not just the terrain and the challenge of it, but it's the people, it's the support, it's it's the memories of of the human experience you have. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just um, you know almost indescribable. That's that's the best I, how I can describe it. But it has meant so much to me, which is why I still want to be involved in the camps. Why Oof. I still am in touch with people who do it um, because it just changes you it, it, it changes you for the better and will be with you the rest of your life i, I really cherish the memories i have well that's a humbling great uh, explanation very well said um and and you're always so humble for those of you listening i'd, I'd love to point out that you know so Lori is the only champion we've had that's come back over 17 years later for an overall female win in another one of our events. Um, you know, you talk about striking gold twice. Uh, it's been much more than twice, but we definitely love having you champion our brand, and, and you've been uh, just a, a great ambassador for Leadville, but a better champion because... You know, I work into every one of these podcasts how Leadville was founded on the backs of strong women. And, uh, you know, here you are a geologist and you're on the front range and and you're coming back and you're doing this and and we just love it. So I just I got to take a pause there to get that out. And now I personally know that you didn't vanish all those years in between and talk about you being a great advocate. I happen to remember you coming up even before Paige was out of your belly. Now, <laughs> you, right. You've been as much of a longtime fan as ours as I have yours. But what's what's kept you coming back? I mean, you came back and stayed with us when Paige was in your belly and in my attic at my home. You've stayed That's at right. Mary Lee's. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, that would have been 2001. That, well, that was when Paige was born. Yeah. I remember 2001. And then I had a second daughter, Abby, who was born in 2003. Um, so, yeah, after the, the late 90s and, um, you know, I was I was done doing racing on a more serious level, but still did some races here and there. I, I enjoy racing. I still enjoy racing. You know, I, mm -hmm. I raced at Nationals this year, which was in Winter Park. Um, got second for my age group, uh, which is the 55, 59, I'm 59. Um, um, in 2017 and 18, I went to West Virginia with my daughters and, uh, Paige and I both raced at nationals and both those years I won for my age group. Uh, so I'm a master's national champion in, in that age group. I, you know, I just, I still love the sport. I still love pushing myself. I do less distance, which is why. I really don't, I don't do a lot of hundred mile rides now. It's, just, it's hard on my hands. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably the, the, the biggest weak link I have right now. I can do the shorter races, shorter rides, um, some endurance rides if I have some break to it. But I, um, I just find that, that whether it's road or mountain, um, I just have to be careful how many miles I put on the bike because it does sort of beat on my hands. Uh, I did ride the Rockies with Paige this year. It was her uh, graduation present from high school. Uh, that was actually from the previous year, the COVID year, when we couldn't do it. Uh, I love riding with my daughters. You know, I just want them to enjoy riding a bike. And, you know, being in the high school league, you know, we've had a high school mountain bike team here in Montrose where, oh. where I've lived the past 23 years. And um, I've been involved as a coach in the last four years as the director. And so I've I've helped build the program here. To, we have 30 riders and 21 coaches now, and it's just fun to share my love of the sport, my background in the sport, and the connections I have, and the and the knowledge I have about how a team works. You know, how how do you get to races? How do you train? Um, how do you coach? How do you teach? You know, how do you teach the skills um, so that they can be better mountain bikers and take that with them the rest of their life? Um, I don't expect. I, I never really expected my daughters to want to race beyond high school. And in fact, I just wanted them to use that as an avenue to be a better mountain biker, you know, to, to make it a lifestyle sport so that they want to ride with their family. You know, that nothing makes me happier than riding with my daughters. And, and, and also something that makes me really happy is when they take my QOMs. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in Strava, when, when Pedro Abby takes my QOM somewhere, you get a little notification on your phone and it's like, right on, <laughs> you know, that just that just makes me happy. You know, I know they're riding and riding well and enjoying it. Well, yeah, Paige just wrapped up a, another collegiate cycling season this past month. Do you want to talk about that real quick? Sure. So, so Paige is going to CMU, Colorado Mesa University, up in uh, Grand Junction. She's a sophomore this year. Has been on their mountain bike team the last two years. Um, they encourage kids. To, even though they're in one discipline, to race multiple disciplines. So she's also done some road racing for the first time, and she's really enjoyed that. And, uh, in fact, I went up and did a road race um, that was put on by their team up um, near Grand Junction in the spring this year. And so it was fun to be in the same race with her, although she's way off the front and <laughs> in the lead break. But I was out there, you know, riding and riding the best of my ability, you know, and, and still really enjoying it, just pushing myself. But she raced um, – with their team, they have some national champions, some multiple national champions on their team, very, very high-powered team in all the disciplines. They just won the national championships, which was a couple weekends ago down in Purgatory. And um, she had moved from 40th to 15th 
in one race and oh, wow. like 50th to 14th in the, in the other race, you know, the short track. And cross <laughs> she race. starts like I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just fun to, fun to watch a race, fun to watch her excel and get better and enjoy the team environment. Um, man, I wish there had been collegiate cycling when I was in my late teens and early twenties, because to see what these kids have now, uh, we are going to be a force as a country in the international scene, um, now and in the future because of these programs, these Devo programs and high school programs and college programs, you know, like almost every college, it was so exciting to see down at Purgatory, all the vans and trucks and, you know, support vehicles from all over the country. These people drove all the way from Georgia and Maine and Berkeley, you know, to come and race in Colorado at the Mm -hmm. collegiate level. Um, You know, that's what our national championship used to be like, you know, now it's at the collegiate level. You know, so yeah. um, very, very fun to see that. And um, I don't know how far she'll take it, but I know she's loving it. And I'm glad she has that, that opportunity. Well, yeah. How great is it to now be full circle and see, uh, you know, you being able to be involved with your daughter's coaching from such a young age and now to see where she's at and, and, and the competition and where they're headed. I mean, it's got to just be incredible. It is. It warms my heart. <laughs> yeah, to see where the sports come and just to have my daughters uh, appreciate what the sport has done for me and what it's doing for them uh, in our community. Uh, it's just been very heartening. Uh, just it's such a cool thing to, you know, all these times I raced, you know, whether it was Leadville or national races back in the 90s uh, or even early 2000s, you know, they – they didn't know what I did. They never saw me race. Right. Um, so to go to nationals in West Virginia for the first time in 2017 and my daughters to be in the feed zone, like, go mom. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I'll never forget that. It's just, just a beautiful thing. Well, that's something we haven't really talked about. Let's go backwards for a moment. What now? We know what got Paige and your your daughters uh, Abby involved in cycling, but what got you into cycling? What kicked off your cycling career? Well, yeah, I grew up in San Diego, and that's a you know you can a place where you can ride all year round. Mm-hmm. It's just you know it's a very mild Mediterranean climate, so I would often ride my bike to school whether that was elementary school or even high school. And I'd race the school bus to school, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. I, like, I know the shortcut and I'm going to be, but there were mountain bikes back then. It was just, you know, I probably uh-huh. was on a, uh, I still remember I had a, a, a green, ugly Schwinn varsity. It was <laughs> heavy thing. You couldn't pay me to ride that right now. I remember doing my first double century on that bike. Oh, goodness. I, I rode that, what, 35 or 40 pound steel bike with steel wheels, 200 miles when I was probably 13, um, did it with my dad. (laughs) My dad wasn't a cyclist. You know, that was just something he wanted to do. He wanted to ride up the coast of California one day and back down the next day. And it was part of a tour. Um, and he talked me into doing it. And, um, you know, I just got to know some people who rode their bike beyond just commuting. You know, they, they Mm -hmm. rode it for training. They rode it for recreation. And this is what they chose to do as their sport. And, uh, I had a junior high, teacher in middle school, you know, junior high at the time, uh, who she and her husband had a tandem, their son raced on the track and things like that. And they, they kind of got me into 
more serious cycling, better equipment, understanding why you need bike shoes, why you need a chamois, um, things like that. Uh, so I had kind of a mentor at a pretty young age. Um, and what was cool is uh, Mrs. Hill, uh, Jeanette Hill, she's no longer living, but she was my PE teacher and that original cyclist mentor in my life. She came, she was living in the Pacific Northwest at the time, and she came to one of my Norba national races. It was in Spokane and watched me race my mountain bike. And that had been, gosh, from, what are they, 13 or 14 when I knew her to in my 30s. Oh, how um, special. So that was really neat. Um, and then, you know, in high school and college, you know, I continued to ride my bike. I would do, um, you know, rides. I'd have, you know, my, my bikes improved, my road bikes improved. And then I did a, a race in the front range. I was doing some road races, started getting involved in people who raced in the kind of the Boulder, Louisville area where I lived at the time and uh, met some of the, the mountain bike gals. So I met like Susan Dimite and Sarah Valentine and Susan Tobias and they would do these road races in the front range in preparation for the World Cup races in Europe and um, got to know them. And, and they said, we need more women on mountain bikes. <laughs> come out and, you know, we need, we, we need some more women. Come on. And I said, I don't even have a mountain bike. And Susan Tobias loaned me one of her GT bikes. And that's how I did my first race. And when I did that race, I realized I like this way better than road racing because it's you against the mountain. It's kind of your mm -hmm. skills, your fitness. And you just go out there and give it your best in the mountains. And it just appealed to me. Uh, yeah. This was so rewarding. No matter what place I got, it was so rewarding to finish. And uh, I didn't have a clue what I was doing on the descents or the technical stuff. But I was a good climber because I was pretty fit from road racing. And, and then I just rode with people who were better than me and learned, watch what they were doing, talk to them about what they were doing, had them show me, how do you do this? What line do you pick? What gear are you in? You know, how are you distributing your weight? And just... Kind of picked it up that way. And then um, at the end of 90, what would it have been? 90, uh, end of 91, I lost my job. I'd been kind of laid off and um, decided I would try to get some sponsorship and do mountain bike racing full time. And then that was 92 um, and ended up racing in Europe and finished 10th in the World Cup Series in 92. Oh, so wow. I really applied that fitness. And that was, you know, I was riding for Clark Kent for a couple of years. That was the first year with Clark Kent. And you're right, we had the Clark Kent box van. Uh, that was so fun because people in Europe, they knew who Clark Kent was. They knew that was Superman. <laughs> they, they didn't know who I was, but I'd be doing this race in like Belgium. And, and there'd be people who go Superman! <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I kind of got into the, the racing side of it. Started with road racing, but, but I'd always ridden my bike everywhere. Bikes were just important to me. Well, so goodness, you talk about a full life and a, a lot of fun characters along the way. But then, mm -hmm. you know, today I open up Facebook and all I see on your Facebook page is Paige, new puppies and a trip to Moab with Bob Roll. So I think yeah. must life must still be treating you quite well. Uh, tell us what you're up to. Yeah, so my, my winter sport is uh, ski drawing and bike drawing. And uh, what that is is where dogs, fast dogs, uh, pull you uh, via a, a tug line um, on a bike or skis uh, or a scooter. There's such thing as a mountain bike scooter. And they actually have events that you can do, uh, races that are in the fall, they're dryland races. In the winter, they're on snow. And, um, you know, I've come to Leadville many times when they've had a race series there and done fat bike joring. Okay. So, one or two dogs pulling you on a fat bike 
which if you're on a groomed surface, you haul. It's, it is so fast. It is really a kick. Um, um, so I don't know if anyone has ever won the level 100, won the Silver Rush 50, and won the bike touring event in Lego, but, but I have. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, there's this lady I know. <laughs> Yeah, so so that that takes my my winter. You know, uh, not having grown up in Colorado, though, I wish I could say I did. Um, I didn't really learn how to stay warm. Riding a bike <laughs> in the winter is is really tough. Uh, but working with dogs, I've always loved dogs. Um, ski touring, bike touring, just keeps you warm. You're always moving. You're working with the dogs. It's very rewarding. Um, you go faster than you ever could go on your own, on on either the the bike or skis. Um, I've competed at the what's called Dryland World Championships up in Quebec in 2015, and um, got a top ten finish in the, the scooter event. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I like to compete. I like to to find a sport that challenges me physically and mentally, and I like variety. You know, for me, it's it's a good thing to do in the winter time. Um, that uh, helps keep me warm, helps keep me fit, give me something to do, enjoy my dogs. And, uh, yeah, I do coaching in the fall. I'm involved in the high school mountain bike team, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, that's pretty time consuming. Um, and what else do I do? I do trail advocacy work. I've been on our local board of, uh, the Colorado Plateau mountain bike trail association, Cotmoba, uh, to help advocate for trails, build trails, maintain trails. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I guess I do quite a bit of, you know, volunteerism, a lot of it relating to ultimately bikes, you know, being able to ride trails, take care of trails, advocate for trails and to get kids on bikes and the coaching I get to do in the summer with the, the Leadville series in July. And then this Bob Roll camp that I've done probably the last 10 years in Moab is really neat because I get exposed to other people who, who maybe, maybe brand new to the sport or, or relatively new to competitive cycling. And then, to be around them and to share these beautiful places with them and my experiences and, um, my history and, and, you know, where, where we can all take this sport. It's just, it's, a, it's such a cool vehicle to do that. For sure. I have no idea how you find the time. Um, I love how you've, you know, stayed relevant through all the volunteerism through your children, uh, back to the ski joring real quick. If any of our family members have an interest in that, you know, what are the length of these races and how would they get involved? Yeah, so in in Colorado, for example, there's two clubs that that put on events. One's called the Rocky Mountain Sled Dog Club. The other one's called Colorado Mountain Mushers. And I'm sure you could just Google, no matter what state you're in, you could just Google dog sled racing um, or dry land dog racing kind of thing. Um, and they would find in their region, you know, who would be putting on those kind of events. There's Facebook pages. Um, there's, um, uh, like ski touring USA is a, is a Facebook page. There's, there's a bunch of groups, user groups who do ski touring and bike touring. And you can just start going to those sites and, you know, getting information, um, suppliers of equipment often have links to active sites. Um, so, uh, for example, companies that make harnesses and dog lines. Um, so like Howling Dog Alaska is is one of the 
products that I use for, you know, harnesses and, and ski door lines, and, and they have a bunch of links to other sites for it. So there's a lot nowadays where you can find information for it, but you can start very simply, you know, just a harness for your dog, harness for you, which I use for my ski drawing. I use a rock climbing harness. There's nothing okay. special about a ski door harness. And then the bungee line between you is, uh, you know, it has to have a quick release on you. And then it, it clips into the dog's harness and it has, the whole thing isn't a bungee, but a section of it is, you don't want a rigid line. You don't want like a leash, you mm-hmm. know, so that you're not jerking on the dog right. or jerking on you when you start stop. And, um, all that can be gotten online. You get it at eBay. You can buy the whole setup for probably less than a hundred dollars. Um, so you can get into the sport pretty cheaply. People sometimes run with their dog. They call that can across. And they, they use a, you know, a harness on you and a harness on the dog and that same kind of bungee line you can run with your dog. And the nice thing is they'll pull you uphill. And, <laughs> and then if you ever need to release from them, you can pop your quick release and let go. And there's no metal falling them. It's just the line. You know, the, the, the hardware stays with you. Um, so you're never going to injure your dog by doing that. Um, same thing with skiing. You know, you use skate skis. You don't have a metal edge. Uh, you know, and you learn how to manage your line so you don't ski over the line or ski over your dogs. You know, you learn how to ski to the side. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just a, it's, it's an amazing, you know, animal husbandry kind of thing, mm-hmm. but it's a sport. You know, you're racing with your dog. It's such a cool thing. And it's all by verbal commands. You know, you don't have reins or, you know, and, you know, it's just your, it's just your voice commands, you know, G and ha and whoa and easy and on out and these, these kind of simple commands that you work with your dog to, to master so that so that um, they can do what they love doing. You can do what you love doing with your dog and you do it faster than you ever would do on your own. So it's really it's really a great win-win sport. Your dog gets better exercise when they have to, to pull. And these dogs we work with are, are these hound mixes with, that are very athletic, fast dogs. So they love a job. Okay. And, you know, like German Shorter Pointers, people always wonder, well, my dog has so much energy, I don't know how to give it enough exercise. Well, this is a great sport to do that. You know, you give them a job, they feel really fulfilled that they're doing something with you, and they get tired, they get, you know, satisfied they're doing something fun, and they really, truly enjoy it. You know, they look back and check on you, and they're, they're just full out running. You know, they're just doing what they love doing. <laughs> well, for sure. And I wanted to give you a little space to speak to this because you know in Leadville's home of burrow racing and it reminds it's kind of like the winter flavor of burrow racing to a degree to me um, but also a lot of our runners and bikers are always looking for other activities they can do in Leadville or surrounding areas in the winter and I think you're in the right space of time to really recruit some folks <laughs> yeah yeah for sure now Sport. Any type of dog can do it. You know, we we at races we see we've seen bulldogs, we've seen labs, we've seen <laughs> you know you know people think of huskies as the only dog who can pull, but there's a lot of dogs who like to pull. I certainly wouldn't have pictured the bulldog. That's that's pretty impressive. <laughs> people took a lot of pictures of that one. Uh, I'm sure he was a popular guy on the trail that day. Yeah. Well, now, and getting back to Leadville or any of these challenges we're speaking about, um. Through all your trials and tribulations, through watching your daughters compete, what advice would you give to your family members to get them to that line when it comes August? Oh, you know, 
keep going. You know, just just keep doing it. Just keep one. Uh, my dad used to tell us when we go backpacking, just put one foot in front of the other. And uh, it, it works with backpacking. It works for cycling. You know, you just just keep it going around. You know that that. You know, I told you the story of getting to to St. Kevin's and realizing I really had a chance to get under eight hours. And I remember at the time thinking, no regrets, just go for it. You know, just go for it. Um, don't live with regrets. Try it. And just keep it going. That's what endurance sports are, right? You know, there it's, it's just putting one foot in front of the other. It's, it's keeping going, not giving up, um, you know, keeping your head up and looking up, looking for that finish line. And, and you will achieve it. I, that's the best advice I've ever gotten. It's so simple. It mm-hmm. sometimes seems like it can't be possible. Um, my father's always been great about giving me advice like that as well. Mm-hmm. They've always been big. Uh, my dad and Mary Lee have been huge fans of yours over all the years. What are some of your early memories of them? Oh, gosh, lots. <laughs> Um, you know, they're like the matriarch and patriarch of that event. And they always have been and always will be. I think people have so much respect for them, myself included, for just what they bring, the happiness, the energy, the encouragement, the joy, the love, the honesty, um, the genuineness. It's just it's just so real. They are they are amazing people. Um, they each bring something different, but together they bring something really powerful. And uh, people who could come to this race not knowing anything about 1994 when it first happened, right? Mm-hmm. Or come to it now, and they will still have the, have this respect for them. It just happens, right? Just because of who they are. Um, you know, I can remember seeing Mary Lee at the finish line and having the bouquet of flowers and the medal to put her on my neck and giving me an amazing hug. You know, that, that I will never forget. And I have a picture mm-hmm. of, of one of those times. And it's like, I remember that. She makes everyone feel special. That wasn't just me. Right. <laughs> you know, and and that's a that's an inner beauty of who she is. You know, that, that she can offer that. Um, and it's genuine and it's real and it, and it and you feel it, you know. So, so that's probably one of the most important memories I have of, of her. Um, and with your dad, you know, it's the gun at the start, you know, it's the, <laughs> it's the motivational speech the day before, um, yeah. you know, and everyone, like you can hear a pin drop in that, in that building, right? When he's talking, <laughs> people are like hinged on every word he says, Yes, they you know, are. As, as if they're feeding off of that inspiration that he speaks. And that's a gift too. You know, they, they're just amazing people. And, and I know you know, he's your dad and, and you just have seen him all these years and have, have such respect for him. But someone who, you know, I'm, I'm not related to him, but I feel like they're my mom and dad. You know, like there there are, like I said, the matriarch and patriarch of, of that event. But I but I truly feel their sincere love for me. Yes. Just as I feel my sincere love for them. Um, I'm very grateful for what they have encouraged out of me, have helped me achieve as a person as an athlete and, and probably why I, I so much want to come back and keep being involved because that's, that's a rare thing to find in life. You know, those people who, who encourage you in that really special way, whether it's just the way they, they act or their words or, um, you know, the environment in which they create 
the atmosphere they create. You know, and Merrily reached out to me, I don't know what it was, four or five years ago, and asked me if I'd be involved in that camp. I was so touched by that because I knew that what she felt for me was was very similar to what I felt for her. That that just um, respect and love and and appreciation. You know, like come be part of this because we know what you can, who you are, and what you can do with us, and we want you part of this. Uh, and that's just you know, it, like bringing tears to my eyes because yeah, because it's 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 really true. It's just I, I can't think of many races or events that I've that I've done in my entire life, and I've done many um, that have impacted me like this one. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the the gift that keeps giving, but you give too. You know, you give and you receive, but it's not like a transactional thing. It's just a it, it's just an experiential thing that enhances who you are. Well, yes, and boy, for sure, they're, I, I got to make sure you know that they're both just as grateful for you as you are of them. Um, now, what do you think of when you hear the word Leadville? <laughs> Inspiration. That's great. That's really good. Uh, well, Lori, I can't thank you enough for the time you've spent with me today and with our family members today. Before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to share? Oh, you know, I I would just say that no matter what the event is that someone wants to be involved with there, give it a try. Go experience it. Be part of it. Absorb, you know, uh, immerse yourself in it. Uh, enjoy the community. Give back to the community. The community... The community benefits from this, but they also the environment the community creates supports this and feeds it. And and so just to be part of that community, um, come up there and train up there, ride up there, run up there, ski up there, bike tour up there. You know, do do whatever you can and enjoy the magic of Leadville. It is it is truly a magical, special place. Well, you are so great to us. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you so much for your time today. And Cole, thank you for yours and, and all you've done for the sport up there, for your with your podcast, for promoting Leadville, and you do it by just being who you are. Leadville boy. Well, there you have it, Leadville family. Another exciting episode with one of our favorite champions, Lori Brant. And if we see you show up in town with a dog or a horse in tow, we know that her inspiration of skijoring has rubbed off on you. Uh, please don't forget to give us a listen wherever you're getting your podcasts. And we can't wait to see all of you at home. We can't wait to see all of you in Leadville.